What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Dan Favalli. Remember to search Blue Wire Buckets in iTunes or Spotify for more NBA content. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, your second favorite co-host around these parts. Today, we're going to continue our off-season outlook train by talking about the Denver Nuggets with the site manager from the Denver Stiffs blog over at SB Nation, Adam Mares. He is also the host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam underscore Mares. That's at Adam underscore M-A-R-E-S. Definitely check out his stuff. He's a great follow on Twitter fantastic writer, and again, the Locked On Nuggets podcast is flames. Our other housekeeping notes before we get started, as per usual, if you want to follow me, I'm at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. Andy is at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Please, I know I ask every episode, but it is imperative that I do continue to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also do the same wherever else you consume your podcast iTunes for us, though, is the best way for us to keep track of who's out there, who's listening, what comments you have. So it's not just a matter of leaving a rating or subscribing. Leave a review, too. We love going through that stuff. And if you're particularly inspired and you just subscribed and you're new, give us a shout-out on Twitter. We'd love to talk to you. Finally, be sure to check out the Blue Wire Podcast Network. A lot of great content being pumped out over there particularly in the NBA and the NFL, but we are expanding. Follow us at Blue Wire Pods. You won't regret it. And now, with all that out of the way, we get to some serious, deep, awesome Denver Nuggets talk with Adam Mares. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you without my co-host, Andy Bailey, this time. As these NBA Finals get underway, though, we are continuing to roll through our season preview train for each individual team. So I'm super excited today to be joined by uh, Adam Mares from the site. He's the site manager for Denver Stiffs, also hosts the Locked On Nuggets podcast. You can follow him at Adam underscore Mares. That's at A-D-A-M underscore M-A-R-E-S. We hope that I did not butcher his pronunciation of his last name too much after trying to confirm it with him beforehand. Um, how are you doing today, Adam? Hey, I'm doing great. You you nailed the pronunciation, and also it. I, I don't. I, I guess it's good that Andy is not on the show because we're going to talk a little Jokic, I'm sure, at some point. And I'm not sure the internet was prepared for both he and I and you all all just raving about Jokic for an hour. Yeah, you know what the issue is is so like there's my Nicole Jokic caping, and then there's like. <laughs> You, you move up and there's like a zillion miles of nothingness <laughs> and there's Andy's Nicole Jokic caping. Right. I'm also happy I didn't bring on um, my coworker, Adam Frommel, who is uh, not just because right. of his Jokic takes, but I'm pretty high on Monte Morris. I'm sure you have good feelings about Monte Morris. Uh, Adam yeah. Frommel thinks that Monte Morris is like a top five NBA player. At this point. <laughs> so. He's not wrong. I think he's <laughs> Fantastic season from the Nuggets. I don't think uh, I, I picked them to win that uh, semifinal series against the the Blazers. Uh, even though they didn't, I think fifty four wins, number two seed in the West, given all the injuries that they dealt with throughout the year. I think it's remembered <laughs> as kind of a successful season, and that we shouldn't harp too much on that exit. Do you view it the same way, or is there still some? Is there a level of disappointment because they did not beat that Blazers team after getting to a Game 7 and having that number 2 seed? 
I mean, like most things with sports, none of this is is binary. There were a lot of successes and a few failures along the way. But I think taken as a whole, stepping back and looking at it, it's hard to look at this as anything other than a success. And I'm actually kind of surprised at how many people both nationally and locally have taken that view. There's always the hot takers out there that if you're not first, you're last. But the Nuggets seem to have escaped that this year, which tells you, I guess, that that this just how successful the season was for them, given the expectations seven months ago. Can we, again, it, the narrative against Nikola Jokic will always exist <laughs> to some extent, as it, it does for all NBA players, really. But <laughs> after he plays so well in front of so many people, because they, they reached a point in the playoffs where they're um, one of the only eight remaining teams, and so it was basically impossible not to watch him. Is it is it universal now that he can be accepted as a superstar? He's probably going to, I know he didn't finish in the top three, but he's probably going to finish in the top five of the MVP ballot. I'm just, or do we think that there's still going to be more of a widespread knock against him than most others who are supposed to be at, at his level relative to those, you know, regular superstar players? For me, it was the biggest joy of this season. I mean, the Nuggets season, there was a lot of joys along the way, but the number one was that, the Jokic slander, it is dead. I mean, if you if you have hot takes about Nikola Jokic, you know, not being very good, as there was, it was somewhat popular or overrated even coming into the playoffs. Oh, fake superstar, whatever. You just sound silly now saying those things. So, um, you're right that there's always going to be a corner of people. I mean, there's people that say this about LeBron James, and you know, right. there's there's always going to be those people. But I think that now Jokic was so good throughout the season. The Nuggets were so good. And then in the playoffs, everybody got to to really see the best of him that I just think it's all dead. And now, you know, he'll segue into the next phase of, of the superstar arc, which is now he maybe he's a choke artist or, you know, <laughs> we can't win the big whatever, whatever the next thing will be if they don't you know win a championship in the next, I don't know, 12 months or something. But um, but he is at least into the stratosphere of. No, he is he is one of the best players in the entire league and and good enough, I think most people would say good enough to be the number one on a championship team. Yeah, and I think it's just all the the narratives against him that existed just seemed to fall like in succession this year. It was <laughs> oh, he's such a bad defender, which was always right. that was way overblown. Um I know the Nuggets at the beginning of the year, maybe and you watched them more than I did. They they changed some of their pick and roll coverages, but he's generally seems like in the right spots and just a little bit quicker than you would expect, like moving east and west or even north and south in those half-court positions. People talk about him not shooting enough, and then he's just going to go up and put on, up under just under 20 points per game. And there's even if it if that there still is that element of passive scoring to him, uh, one of my favorite stats of the season was he was third in total points generated from scoring assists <laughs> and screen assists per 36 minutes this year with only Harden and Atentacumpo in front of him. Yeah. That's like, I, I just don't know what the actual argument against him is. Now it feels like we should be quibbling over, is he top five, top ten, or like whatever range you want to put him in. That seems like... You can't go behind below top ten, I don't think, anymore. And that that's kind of what's cool about this, right? Is there was coming into the season, some reputable voices were saying, well, I don't know if he's a top 20 player. I think now... You know, I would probably have him like eighth, seventh, or eighth, or something like that. And I don't like player rankings, but I think he's indisputably now a top ten player, and 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 people kind of see he's a guy that two different teams game planned for entirely and just couldn't couldn't really even slow down. Um, the only thing they could hope to do is stop everybody else on the court, which Portland was able to do. But um, he talk about the defense. Here's what going into the playoffs, I. I kind of sat back, especially when you saw the matchups. I kind of sat back and was just like, oh, I can't wait for this because I, 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 you you know what's coming. <laughs> the Nuggets were a number one defense in the fourth quarter. And watching them all the year, sometimes those numbers can be inflated or you know random or whatever. But watching them, it was very clear that Nikola Jokic tried on defense in fourth quarters. And I just thought, okay, he has this in him. He's so much important to the team that I get why he has to pace himself throughout, you know, over the course of 48 minutes. But in the fourth quarters, he steps up and he's good. I know he'll be that in the playoffs. Same goes with that. You talk about the aggressive scoring. Sometimes he'll become passive. And I, and it, it almost is like he's <laughs> he's a leader on the court where he's like, I know I got to get this guy going or these we're not doing things the right way. So I'm not, you know, I'm going to allow this to play out in a negative way. I just kind of always felt like when he wanted to score, he scored a bunch and the playoffs, he was going to need that. So I always expected all of his numbers to elevate in the playoffs and his defense to elevate. And and that's what happened. I'm just going to say, I know one of them was a loss, uh, loss, but those two of those games against the Spurs, uh, 
where he put up 30 shots and then 26 just it, in in my glory for that it seems like he can sense <laughs> what role the team needs him to play and even when he's not necessarily shooting well um nine of 26 like it's still just valuable to that team and listen anyone who's going to play 65 minutes and probably lose about 12 pounds in that game against the Blazers <laughs> that's just I don't know how you don't respect that for sure for sure and the, the scoring stuff is funny too because I think a lot of times he it has the early LeBron James vibe where he's making the right play if a team's going to send a double you know sometimes he'll force that shot but most more often than not he's going to force that double team out of position so that when he kicks it out the guy's wide open and if guys make the shots he looks like a genius if they don't he misses well in the game you're thinking in a game 6 against San Antonio where he had I can't even remember 43 or something like that um they decided to single cover him and he was a I don't I don't know that he was necessarily more aggressive in that game than usual it's just he knew what the defense was so he attacked it that way and um to me, I just think watching him all year, he's always that way. If you only watch him sometimes and a team double teams him in the game you happen to catch and he passes a lot, you think, well, why isn't this guy scoring more? But I really just think he's so good at setting the table and, and taking what the defense gives him that sometimes that comes off as passive, sometimes it's aggressive, but it's always the same mind frame from him. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's just, he's he's excellent, and I would be with you. I'm, I actually don't mind player rankings as much as other people, maybe because I have to write them at the end of every <laughs> summer and before the playoffs, but uh, certainly top 10. Moving on, though, to the rest of this roster, there it seems like most of the pieces are in place where if they want to run it back, they can, they can just run it back, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so they still do, though, have some, I guess, potential decisions or curious decisions. And I'm wondering if, starting with Paul Millsap, if you have any inklings on what's going to happen with his team option. Do they just pick it up? Uh, do you think that they'll maybe decline it and try and work out an, a, a multi-year deal just at a lower price point with him? I don't I don't yeah. actually know if I lean one way or the other with that. I would be shocked if, if the any, this ended up any other way than Denver restructuring the deal with him. So declining that team option and then bringing him back on um, a, a smaller deal but more years to it. The real question – and you talk about running it back in general. I'm sure we'll get into more of these details. I think Denver is more or less going to to have the same roster going forward next year with a few you know key little pieces but nothing major – but with Paul Millsap, what will make this season, in my opinion, this offseason a success or failure will be the number they bring him back on. Paul Millsap, I think, has made more money than he anticipated when he <laughs> entered the league. I mean, by quite a bit. I think Denver paid a lot of that, and you could even argue overpaid him $30 million a year over the last two seasons. He missed half of the first season. He missed a couple weeks this last one. Um, I, I think the whole plan all along was – hey, we're going to overpay you here in these first two years, and if things go well and you like being here, then maybe you can take a little discount to give us flexibility You know, following that. And I think both sides, you know, Tim Conley had a great line on his exit interview, Paul really wants to be here, we really want to keep him here, and when both sides have the same motivation, oftentimes you know, it's, you, it's easy to work out a deal. So my hunch is that the Nuggets are going to pitch him on, at this price point, we're willing to pay you, but we're not going to have a lot of flexibility at this price point you know, we we'll, we have an opportunity to really add to this team and, and make it a contender. And and I, I my hunch is that Paul Millsap will be on board with that. I would think so, too, just because when you look at his age, it makes more sense to secure more over the long haul. He's right. I'm forever indebted to him just because I love the idea of free agents going with the best basketball fit. That <laughs> right. basketball fit isn't a huge market. And so when he signed, it was just like one of those things where everyone talked about how great Paul Millsap would be for the Nuggets and that he went there was just great. That totally Well, did you see his exit interview cuz he had a great line about this. Somebody asked, "Do you feel like Denver provides your best chance to win a championship?" And he laughed and he goes, "Well, I could go to the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Pretty sure that would be a better chance." He said, "But I want to do this my way." He's like, "I'll my career I've wanted it to go the way I've wanted it to go, and this is the story I want to tell." And I just thought like that's that's the kind of thing you need in Denver. You need a guy that's like, "No, I get it. This isn't the easy way. This is the this is a pretty long shot, but that's what I'm here for." And the benefit of restructuring his deal is if you don't believe he wants to leave, then, you know, putting him on the open market, there's always the risk that maybe another team comes. But if there's just this understanding you're going to restructure it, then I would have to imagine that putting him on the books for 2020, 2021 as well, and however long that deal is, it then gives you a better idea of what you can do with potential extensions or the new deals for you have right. Jamal Murray coming up, Tory Craig, Malik Beasley, and then Juan Hernan Gomez as well. And so I'm wondering if that is a potential advantage or if they're viewing it as a potential advantage um, 
to restructuring his deal, or does it go the other way where if you are putting him on the books for more than next season, you then risk not being able to pay um, as many of those guys as you might like to? Well, that's where that price point really matters. And, you know, he, he's going to be worth, I think, probably if you if you talk about for the next three years, he's probably going to be worth somewhere around 15 million. I mean, that's like, a I think, a league average starter. And I expect he'll be better than that next year, worse than that three years from now. Um, but if they can get him for something lower than that, and I think that's kind of the idea. I mean, remember, Tim Conley just passed up an opportunity to go to his home. Um, and, and take on a job that probably offered more money and more job security. And I think, and, and he talked about it, and I take him at face value for a lot of this. They just, you don't get the culture that the Nuggets have built everywhere, and you don't mm. take it for granted. I think Paul Millsap feels the same way, and a lot of people in that locker room feel the exact same way. So there is a part of me that wonders if Paul looks at this and says, you know what, how many years do I have left? Probably anywhere between three and five, realistically. Could he extend his career by becoming an Andre Iguodala type where maybe he starts next season but slowly moves to a six-man role who plays a lot more minutes in the playoffs but extends his career by two or three years while staying in an environment he really likes and maybe even winning a championship? To me, that's going to be Denver's pitch, and I think it's the, the, the pitch he signed up for. Now, you mentioned maybe getting him for under 15, and that's actually interesting, uh, $15 million per year. That's actually interesting to me because when you're at that $30 million price point, I would typically think that a deal might need to be closer to 20 but i guess if it's like a four year and 60 agreement or something right like that is that the type of move that that you're thinking yeah it is and and again you, you agents negotiate these contracts so i'm being I'm, i have my rose colored glasses on here but just from being around the team there really is a sense of sort of sacrifice from a lot of guys and so is he worth more than that of course and some team would probably pay him more but the pitch is going to be, look, we'll pay you $20 million a year for three years, and you're probably worth it. But if we get you at this lower price point, this is what we can do. We can keep Malik Beasley. We can get, you know, we can keep this guy, and then we can go out this summer and maybe try to sign a guy. Or if it doesn't work next summer, go out and sign a guy. So um, I, I think that's the pitch. And again, I'm not saying he will for certain take it, but I think it's more likely than any scenario. I, I've covered this team for four and a half years now. I never would have predicted a guy taking sort of a discount like that prior to this, but I just get the sense of where Paul Millsap is in his career, how much he likes being here in Denver, that that's sort of what they've been building towards. So uh, I, I would not be as surprised as I think most if something like that were to happen. Yeah, I think I I would agree with your stance at least overarching wise, saying he's definitely going to be back in Denver next season. That'd be the real surprise if he was. Right. Used. Do you think, or which of these players do you think we're going to see extensions for over the off season? Uh, more uh, Jamal Murray will obviously be a priority, and we'll have to get into you know his price point and value to them. But I'm I'm now wondering if Beasley's breakout campaign makes it more critical to lock him up now rather than risk him reaching the open market because if he has another season like he just did he's going to get a ton of money and so maybe you can hedge your bets and say you know he's probably willing to accept a little bit less because he's only working off that one career year or is he someone you think that they'll end up risking hitting the open market it's a tough one so for to starting with jamal murray obviously i don't, I don't know which direction they're going to go the hard thing for me is, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. I just don't have a real great sense of what Jamal Murray's ceiling or realistic, you know, where he'll where he'll end up realistically, um, talent wise. He's a real hot and cold player, so he's hard to evaluate. Malik Beasley, you're right. This was a breakout year for him, and he sat on the bench for two seasons. Um, got an opportunity this year, and I thought what made him so good is he really sort of limited what he does offensively. He didn't try to do things he's not great at. He was a catch-and-shoot shooter. He got out in transition. He would attack the rim, and, I mean, he's he's a super athlete, so him attacking the rim <laughs> puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Um, but he didn't try to do too much, not a lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff. Um, you know, they didn't run a ton of pick-and-rolls for him. I think trying – me personally, if I were him, I don't know that I would agree to an extension. There's always the injury concern, the injury risk. But to me – and I've heard there's a lot of interest around the league in him. To me, I might I might be a little bit more aggressive saying, hey, man, I'm a, I'm, I'm a much better player than what I'm allowed to be in Denver. And I'm only 22 years old, 40% three-point shooter on high volume. You know, may, Maybe he tries to hold out. But I think Denver, you're right to, that they would love to lock him up. Here's the interesting question. They don't have any small forwards on the roster, and that became a real issue in the right. playoffs. They've got Torrey Craig, Will Barton, um, and, uh, Gary Harris, and Malik Beasley, who are all shooting guards. Now, they try to place some of them at small forward, 
But I, I think it's very clear if you watch the season, especially if you watch this playoffs, that's not a that's not how you build a championship roster. You can make a 54-win team, but at some point you're going to have to have more versatility and less depth at one spot. And who do you trade? Gary Harris, Will Barton, Torrey Craig, Malik Beasley? Beasley might be the one guy that, oh, you, we can't afford him going forward, and he has the most trade value at the moment. So he's a real inter- – That's all those three small uh, shooting guards, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Malik Beasley, they're all really interesting to me because – I think Denver probably has to choose but you know one of them to go and Malik Beasley might be the easiest to trade while getting something of value back. Yeah, that's definitely true. I guess the one concern then there is he's making 2.7 million next season and so that's just so if you pair right. him I guess with another salary like a Plumlee that's where you get real value for right. him. I'd be interested to see what a deal, you know, a trade involving him would look like. Murray's definitely the more complicated one. Um I'm wondering, you said you didn't have any idea of, of his maybe price point or what you would pay him. If it's like a 17 to $20 million a year contract, which is between seven and, you know, like $11 million below his max, is that something that you could envision being comfortable with? Because he's, like you said, he is an up and down player. But when you look at this roster, I know Will Barton is supposed to be the facsimile of this player um, to some extent. I even, you said Malik Beasley didn't do too much off the dribble, but he did. Uh, up until mid-February, he was hitting a pretty good percentage of his pull-up threes, and he hit some nice ones in the playoffs as well. But the Nuggets, you don't look at them and say, there's the guy on the roster who's going to go get you that face-up bucket from scratch. And we've right. seen them lean on Jamal Murray in crunch time. He hit basically after Christmas. Um, he shot an absurd percentage on his pull-up three-pointers. It was 38 on 38% on more than three per game. So it's not, to me a matter of can he turn into a star, but I don't think that they could afford to look at trading him um, or not keeping him unless it's because right. they have like that, like that other top, I don't know, like top, like, I don't even know, like top six guard or something coming down the pipeline just because he is that he's that to me, Jokic is clearly their best player, but he's more so, uh, they're from scratch shot creation nightline just because that's never going to be Jokic's game. Am I wrong there? No, no, I think you're right. Um, I do think Jokic could probably work on a, a, a bit more of a, like a post fadeaway. That's sort of a shot he can get to every time and maybe become more consistent, but you're absolutely right that Murray is the next guy on this team. The, the question is, is he the next guy on the championship version of this Nuggets team? Because to me, that's the real question. And, and maybe you don't have to decide that, but my hunch is that Jamal Murray I mean, he's a, a a Kentucky player. He's a he sees himself as a star, and I think he's a really good player. And there's a chance he turns into a star. But if you extend him this summer, I think you're extending him for star money and hoping he becomes that he he becomes the best version of himself, just more consistent. And I I just get nervous about that because I I don't know that that's his trajectory. He might just be a I think Kevin Durant com- compared him to Lou Williams, who I mean Lou Williams is a hell, hell of a player. But he might be a more of a, like a scoring engine, um, third wheel, or you know something something of that more so than like a guy you just can you you count on to do all of the things that a star point guard is meant to do. He's terrible defensively. I mean, I think he's the worst defender on Nuggets' roster by far, and I I don't know that he's going to become a great defender. So automatically, you have to kind of account for that when you build your roster. But then just the inconsistent shooting. I mean. You never knew if you were going to get, especially during the regular season. You never knew if you were going to get good Jamal or bad Jamal. And you sign a guy to a hundred million or more uh, contract, and he's not the guy you hoped he was. You kind of have a mini Andrew Wiggins situation where, well, we went all in on this guy, and now we've got five years to wait because our we we have our number one and our number two salary wise locked up, and unfortunately, only one of those is the guy. So that that's kind of what I worry about with Murray. And I don't know if that that's the case with him. I'm just saying. With some players, you lock them up for big money, and you know, like, oh, that's that, that. This guy's a player. With Jamal Murray, I don't know if he's a number two, a number three, or a number four. I think one of the values of him, though, might be also the as someone who can. He's definitely like an alpha scorer. Like whether he's better off being a number two or a three or a four, I think that's a, a good debate. But if he is your number two, that he can work so well off of Nikola Jokic. There aren't yeah. all these ball dominant guards who can play that well. I think that there's he probably has more of a capacity to carry Jokic list lineups than we've seen. If you look at just some of the most used combinations that didn't include Jokic but had Murray this year, they weren't you know spectacular players on the court, and, and a lot of them were 
uh, net pluses by demonstrative margins. So I mm. his next contract scares me, especially because what are you paying him when Gary Harris is already in the seventeen to twenty million dollar right. range on his deals? He gonna, it, it feels like he would get more than that just because of how the NBA values scores. He might be someone. <coughs> I think I would ultimately keep him, and I my line would be. You know, would you include him in a trade for a Bradley Beal? That might be a decision they could look at if they were looking to swing for the fences. Otherwise, I'm probably keeping him, but I'm also not signing him to an extension unless there's that discount. His cap hold um, before free agency is going to be like $13.3 million, I think. So it's probably better off for you to just work with that smaller cap hold and risk what could happen on the open market if you're going to have to end up paying him 20 to $22 million a year in an extension anyway. So you're thinking to not extend him this summer and then to go into restricted free agency next year? Is that is that am I reading that right? I th- th- I think that's just where I'm at. Unless if it's yeah. sub 20 million a year on average, right? I, I might jump on an extension, but is there a huge maybe a team comes with an over the top offer, but a lot of teams also don't want to tie up their cap space in restricted free agents anymore and right. like Murray's going to have that uh D'Angelo Russell sort of bugaboo to him where you know, you can go out and throw that max offer at him, but if you do end up getting him because the Nuggets don't match, is that the player that you want to be paying max money to? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm with you. And there's always a risk because, I mean, maybe next year's the year he puts it all together. And then, it's, and I guess at that point, you don't care. You just, okay, you got a max player on your hands. But um, yeah, I, I think that's what I would probably do as well. Try to get him at a lower number. And then if not, you know, you know, you're going to get him, you know, you hold the cards at least in restricted free agency the following year. So um, that would probably be my route. I, I think he's a really good player and he showed me a lot in the playoffs, um, you know, was a lot more consistent, especially after the first three games of the San Antonio series. He, he went to another level. Um, so I really think he has it in him. I just don't know. And when the Nuggets are in that point where they're starting to have to put their push their chips forward and pushing them in with him is is quite a mystery still for me yeah i'm fascinated to see what they if he does get an extension what the price uh ends up being for that apropos of almost nothing except that i think these are players who are good examples of the nuggets just finding value on the margins who do you think is more important to this team long term between monte morris who they have locked up for basically nothing <laughs> two more seasons i think it is uh, Malik Beasley and Tory Craig. I feel like the last one might be a little bit irrelevant, but just because <laughs> I find like these are the players that you know, Malik Beasley wasn't even part of the rotation for the first two seasons. And he just comes right. on and he's all of a sudden this, I know part of it might've been Barton's injury, but just all of a sudden becomes this mission critical piece to what they're doing. So here's another central part of, my, of the way I analyze this team. Nikola Jokic makes everybody look good. And we have sure. this over four years of data that um, Emmanuel Moutier, for two of his three years in Denver, was a positive player when he was with Nikola Jokic. Just like a positive plus-minus player. This last season he wasn't. Um, I think only Moutier and Trey Lyles, I think they're the only two players that had like a negative differential um, when playing with Jokic over the last two two seasons. And you look at that and you think, man, there's been a lot of players that have come through. Jameer Nelson, um, you know, was a positive, had like this, if you look at his career arc, he had this spike after <laughs> five years of going down, then all of a sudden a spike up. I just, so part of me thinks, and this is what I wonder if the Nuggets agree on and, and how they evaluate their own talent is a lot has been made of, oh, look at how many hits the Nuggets have had in the draft. Well, I wonder if all these guys would be hits if they were playing alongside Jared Allen and you know just just not a bad center or anything, but just you know an average guy. I think Jokic makes them all look good. Tory Craig is number one with a you know a bullet on that list. I don't think that Tory Craig is a, this great NBA player. Certainly not a starting small forward. I think he's okay and he can you know be a off the bench guy that you, if you don't count on him. But to me, he's a guy that's been propped up by he gets the easiest possible shots in in an offense, and he knocks them down sometimes. So throw him out. Monte Morris, you mentioned the deal that they have him on. To me, he's the guy that leapfrogs Malik because of that. He is, in my opinion, one of the better backup point guards in the NBA. He does exactly what a backup point guard should do, knock down open shots, get the ball where it's supposed to go, and not turn it over. Um, And he does that, all three of those things, at like an extremely uh, high rate. So... Um, to me, it's probably him. You have you have your backup point guard set for a couple more seasons at a ridiculously low price point, and that's a I think a huge weight off of your shoulders. Beasley, another fantastic player, and I'm not trying to make it sound like Beasley's not good. I think he's a really he's super athletic, 
tall and long and, and, and springy. And then his shot really is pure. I, I, I think he's a 40% three point shooter going forward, not just the season. Um, so he's a real asset, but as I mentioned, the nuggets, they have so many shooting guards that his value is a little bit diminished just by virtue of that. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I, I guess I didn't really give the contract. I might've gone Beasley, but I guess I didn't really give uh, the contract enough consideration for Morris. When you look at, he's going to cost you, let's say like 3.2 million over the next two <laughs> years. And that's, you're going to pay sometimes, you know, three times that for your backup point guard, depending on it might the be the best here. contract in the NBA. It's, it's up there. It's in the conversation. I mean, they signed him before he had really played in any in the NBA and turns out he was really, really good. I think he has the second best assist to turnover ratio of all time in this one season. Yeah. Fantastic game manager. And, uh, the games that I watched of him just like a really, I don't know what the word is, like a disarming floater maybe because I, I didn't see it sure. coming, but it was just, he hit it at such a high percentage. So he's, um, I, you swayed me. I probably would have went with Beasley, but then listening, <laughs> just the contract thing. And it's funny that they go from having Jokic on the best deal in the NBA to now maybe Morris is on the best deal in the NBA. Monte Morris, the nicest guy too. He has, he's got fans all over the league. I, I always find this interesting with point guards when they're super charismatic and he is, he's just, he has a he has a way of being just very very popular for a guy that was in the G League last year. And then also this funny line you mentioned his floater, it, it, fantastic fly. I don't know what the numbers are on it, but it's got to be up in the top you know ninetieth percentile or above. But somebody asked him when Isaiah Thomas came back and hit a floater in a game. Somebody asked him after the game, "Have you ever seen a player with a floater as good as Isaiah Thomas?" And he just got so uncomfortable and looked at him. He goes, "Well, I, I think mine's pretty good too." And <laughs> I was kind of like, "Yeah, he's right, man." Hey, this is Jason Pat, co-host of the Cash Considerations Podcast. Check out my podcast and others on the network by searching Blue Wire on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. Are you at all concerned moving forward about Will Barton? Uh, three years, $41.2 million left on his deal. A contract that was, I think, just accepted as solid market value. And I believe he said he could have gotten more elsewhere. I don't remember okay. if that was uh, if that was something he said or not, but... I think there's, can we just write off this season um, to what happened with his right hip injury? It was just, when he came back, and you look at the numbers from when he came back versus last season, his shot frequency at the rim and free throw attempt rate plummeted. Uh, his I don't know if his increased workload at the three becomes an issue now, too, because you already mentioned that they just lack these true wings on the roster. Is this something to be concerned about? Or, or again, do we just write off this season and some of the topsy-turviness that we saw uh, to, to his injury. This is one of the toughest questions facing the Nuggets, in my opinion. And I want to start with the contract. Um, when we were talking about Jamal Murray and, you know, can you get him at this lower deal? One of the the, the things about the Tim Connolly era, especially the, the maybe the biggest negative, they signed Mason Plumlee to that big deal when there was no bidders going against him. And it, it, I think it was an overpay. Now, Denver, he's he's been a big piece of what Denver has done. So, and I don't know that Denver had that money spent elsewhere, you know, more wisely. But nonetheless, they weren't bidding against anyone and they paid him way more than anyone was expecting. The same is sort of true of Will Barton. Now, you're right that he did have offers from Indiana and uh, reportedly had had turned those down um, to come back to Denver. And he's a big loyalty guy as well. I think he feels like Denver's the team that gave him a shot. So he wanted to finish what he started. Um, so anyway, just file those things away when you think about what Denver might do with Murray at I think they're more likely to overpay him than you know early than they are to to play hardball with him. But um, as far as for Denver going forward with Will Barton, this was an absolutely tragic year for him. I was so excited going into this season about Will Barton's year because him becoming a starting point guard with Denver's free-flowing, high-motion offense, and you give him Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Will Barton, three you know guys that can run pick-and-roll and dribble handoffs with Jokic, spot up and knock down the three. I was all about it. I, did, I, could not, I thought this was going to be the most fun Nugget season that we would have just because I thought they'd be the number one offense or number two offense behind Golden State, and he was a large part of that. He plays six quarters. The first game they win on the road at the Clippers, which turned out to be a great win. I don't think the Clippers lost at home for like seven more weeks after that. And then Denver at home, Nikola Jokic has a perfect 35-point game triple-double with Barton in the lineup. And I just kept thinking, this is exactly what I envisioned, this unstoppable offense that is going to make Denver great. He gets hurt, and his season looks completely different than any other one. His game does not scale down. He's kind of, he's not a gunner, but he's very aggressive, very confident. And when he's not effective, 
I just don't think he can be like, okay, I'm not good at this anymore. I need to try to do something else. I think he just, no, I get to the rim. I try to attack. I'm in attack mode all the time. And this year he was an active negative in that regard. And, and, and really in every regard because of that. But I don't think that's the player that he is. I don't think he's the long-term answer for Denver, especially at small forward. But I think if Denver Rhea just went back next year and ran it back, started him at small forward, I think they'd probably win 56, 57 games, get a little bit better, and and he would be good. Even though he's in the playoffs, the Nuggets would still be vulnerable to scoring small forwards the way they were this playoffs. I, I, I still think over the regular season he would be a, a much different and much improved player and make the Nuggets a lot more dynamic. And I guess when he's not getting to the rim, that contributes to him actually looking more like a gunner because of the types of shots <laughs> that he was settling for. No no doubt about it. He had six dunks this year. Six. This was, and I think three of them happened in the first six quarters of the season before he got hurt. Um, so when we say he wasn't finishing at the rim, he wasn't even getting to the rim. And he was getting blocked at the rim so much. He was getting stripped at the rim. I mean, he just – so much of what made him a dynamic player was taken away. And then, like you said, so what you're left with is a bunch of floaters and ill-advised pull-up shots that you're like, man, get this guy out of here. He can't help himself. Yeah, Jared Vanderbilt had almost as many dunks as Will Barton, and he only played 69 <laughs> minutes during the regular season. Wild. Uh, it's also a good time to plug from you. I think it was, yeah, it was in October. Uh, you had that two-part podcast documentary thrill will barton's life in basketball that was anyone yeah. who hasn't listened to that yet that was an absolutely fantastic listen uh locked on nuggets so be sure to check that out if, if you haven't it, it still holds up now be, because we've talked so much about the small forward position um and just what's going on with denver's finances long term when you look at some of the commitments they have to go after and whether or not they need to look at making big changes do you see michael porter jr assuming he's healthy which i guess is a pretty big presumption in <laughs> itself at this point having a big role with them next year because from from outside it looks to me like he's their last line of defense against having to consolidate some of their talent already in place via trade that's like you can justify running it back this year no problem but beyond that if you're not gonna get over the hump or something like he needs to be that swing piece otherwise then you really have some serious self-reflection to go through there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think the final form of this Nuggets team has a very good small forward on the roster. If that's Michael Porter Jr., then Denver is in great shape because he's already there and he's going to be cheap for the next couple of years. Um, but I have a hunch that this, you know, he just got, I can't, I don't know if it's drop foot or foot drop. I've heard both, but it was just revealed that in the article, I don't know what, if that's the official term, but, and I think it's incorrect. I think it's actually foot drop. I think the article had it backwards and everybody's been saying that I, somebody has, the doctor wrote me to say that, but, um, so I think it's foot drop, but either way, you know, he's got these side effects that I guess are not too uncommon, but are still not like great signs for, for his long-term recovery. Certainly not great for his short-term recovery. And I've always said, this next season, my expectations of Michael Porter Jr. are close to zero. I, I think he'll be in the rotation, assuming healthy, um, which is, you know, who who knows on that front. But I, I assume he'll be in the rotation, but probably as like the seventh, eighth or ninth guy playing 10 minutes a game. And to me, that's a that's the healthy way to handle Michael Porter Jr. He's this talent, but he's also going through as big an injury as we've seen um, trying to, to still have a career for it. So to me... He might be a long-term answer, but he's certainly not a short-term one, and I don't think he'll have a huge impact on the team next year. I could be wrong, but that's just kind of the hunch I uh, hunch I get. And so do you just hope then that in small bursts they really get a feel for whether he is the long-term solution? Because you're right that even if you wanted him to have a big role, it's tough to integrate a rookie coming back from injury where he missed an entire season onto a, a, a squad that's going to have championship uh, hopes, particularly if Kevin right. Durant ends up leaving the Golden State Warriors. And so I'm just wondering how then you go about it. Is it just looking to see if, you know, does his, is his shooting form really as fluid when he's playing off the ball as much? Right. Is he going to be able yep. to you know, maybe hedge pick and rolls good? Is that just what you look for those little, uh, I guess, like signs in, in small bursts? I just find that so, because it's such a, obviously this is, they, they drafted him knowing all this. Like this is a good position to be right. in. I'm just curious how you go about knowing if he's not going to be a big part of next year's iteration figuring out whether he can eventually be that huge piece. I think the Nuggets front office, the number one thing that has made them successful is talent evaluation and talent evaluation on some pretty difficult circumstances, European leagues, you know, guys not playing a ton of minutes and, and, you know, they got Malik Beasley who barely played in college because he broke his leg and they were able to identify him. 
Um, Jokic, of course, they they identified while playing in a not so great Adriatic League before he was even on anyone's radar. So I think Denver, if anybody was positioned to sort of let him play. 600 minutes this coming season but still kind of have a sense for what kind of guy he is what kind of player he is I I think Denver's positioned to do that but I mean when you talk about this next year Denver is in championship mode now this was the last year where that that talk was silly now they need to start trying to gun for that whether it's realistic or not that's their goal that's where their sights are and are they going to play Michael Porter Jr. on second night of back-to-backs probably not are they going to try to really run him a ton of minutes probably not so now how do you still go for a championship while integrating a guy that you know that that you you can't rely on night in and night out. To me, the answer is you play him ten minutes a night. That way, you're not really dependent on him, but you get a big enough look at him to see how he is. And maybe by February and March, he's got his legs under him and he's looking like a player. And you can up that a little bit. But my hunch is early in the season, he's a guy that goes in there at the start of the second quarter, maybe end of the third quarter for for three, four, five minutes at a time, and and, and that's kind of it. I guess this sort of answers my question then about Jared Vanderbilt and whether he might factor into the rotation at all next year. Is it something that can happen organically? Is he, is, or does it need to be they lose Millsap slash Plumlee or one of them? I'm just – his help and recover defense is a hustle stats orgasm, basically. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he's smart with the ball in his hands. It was uh, the clip, and I think you guys actually just recently posted it when you were uh, – Denver Sips ranked the top 50 most of the season. He came in his first minutes of the year, and he threw like this crazy uh, outlet pass. I yeah. just – I just want maybe I should just be watching more uh, of like the G League or something because I just want to see more of that. And I would love to just see what uh, a Jokic Vanderbilt front court looks like in just however many minutes. I'm such a believer in him, and he's a guy that I think is more going into the season. They're not going to like earmark a spot for him, but he'll have an opportunity to win that spot. Um, there's Trey Lyles minutes up for grabs and, and Jared Vanderbilt, probably the most likely guy to kind of steal those minutes. Um, I'm so high on him. As you mentioned, defensively, he has sort of the instincts and physical tools to cover so much ground. The player I compare him to the most is Pascal Siakam. He just, he's so mobile. He's long. He has these great, just sort of like instincts for how to stay in front of a guy um and even though it's in limited minutes it it, it just really jumps off the page he set an nba or he set a college record for rebound rate at kentucky because he was injured for part of the year and then calipari said hey look we can't we don't have time to work you in just go out and hit the boards and he grabbed like 13 boards a game in 16 minutes or something it was absolutely absurd and that translated to the nba by the way if you look at his rebound rate it's pretty through the roof in the garbage the limited garbage time minutes that he played so I'm I'm high on this guy uh, on him as a guy that can come in and be, you know, just an impactful player without while he's still super raw. And then you talk about the the passing. I I, I really think he has passing is not something I think you teach. I think players just kind of have vision, and he has vision. He has a good sense for how to pass. The problem that watching him this year has kind of lowered me on him, especially as a immediate impact player. His finishing around the rim is pretty abysmal, and he's super athletic. He's super springy. Um, but when he's not dunking, those little floater shots and jump hooks and stuff look really ugly. So um, to me, I think he's actually a piece of this Nuggets long-term future. But like Michael Porter Jr., I think he's more of a in the Trey Lyles mold where some games, maybe towards the end of the year, he's playing 18, 20 minutes a game. And every now and then he'll be super impactful. But for the most part, he's a guy that you're just counting on those rebounds and hustle for 10 minutes a game. And as the year goes on, you'll try to hope he develops into more of a reliable all-around player. Now, I typically ask uh, whether there are any in-house free agents that the Nuggets have to keep, but I'm assuming you don't have <laughs> our harbor secret love for IT Lyles or, or Tyler Lydon. Not, not a lot of love for any of those guys, so don't. none of them will be back, and, and it's, it's not really a loss. None of them are playing. And instead, I mean, tough. IT's had some tough breaks over the past few years, but the emergence of Monte Morris really killed any opportunity that he had in Denver. Yeah. Um, so instead I'll ask, is Juan Hernan Gomez still a part of the future? So uh, this is where things get really interesting because we keep talking about the small forward position and the redundancy. Juancho is one of my favorite players on this Nuggets roster, especially alongside Nikola Jokic. For for one, I think they're probably he's probably Jokic's closest friend on the team, so there's that sort of just intangible value of him being the towel-waving buddy of the star. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be his role, so that alone might get him re-upped. But I love – he is an elite off-ball floor spacer. He just knows where to be on the court. I mean he has this European player on some really good clubs and a good Spain, Spanish national team. So he's like a high IQ offensive player. 
absolutely abysmal defensive player. And that's kind of a theme for Denver. They have a lot of these guys. And he's unfortunately one that I think Malone looks at all the talent they have on the roster and he's the guy that's like, yeah, he adds something to us, but something kind of redundant and he's a liability on defense and he's got cut out. My suspicion is that he'll remain on the roster. They might even extend him on a Monte Morris type super, just super cheap deal to be the end of bench guy and be Jokic's buddy. Um, But my hope is that he earns a spot in the rotation and becomes a better defender because he is a perfect Nikola Jokic player. If you are a smart cutter, a three point shooter and just know how to space the floor properly, you are going to make Jokic. You're you're going to make a Jokic-led offense elite, and he does all of those things so well. And the numbers bear it out. When he shared the court, um, especially through December, he had a he ended up getting a core injury sometime around early January, first or second week of January. And after that, he fell off a cliff. But if you look at the numbers before December, and if you even go back to last year when he shares the court with Jokic, the offense hums. So my hope is that he can he can improve in some of his weak areas because. He's a rare talent that that Jokic just he's a perfect Jokic player. Is it maybe I, I guess if they view him as a three, it's different. But do you if we're assuming that Lyles is gone, do you think that it's a situation where he might compete? It'll be between him and Vanderbilt as the primary minutes for backup four, or do the Nuggets very much just view him as a wing? I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, he's a three and a four. The thing is, usually you talk about that defensively. What can he guard? He can't guard either, so it makes it easier, <laughs> I guess, matter. to say. Yeah, he's just uh, he's just a, a, a wing. Um, so if, as, even if the Nuggets bring back Millsap at his $30 million price point, which uh, you've already established you don't think will happen, that they'll restructure it, but they should have, either way, access to the non-taxpayers mid-level this year, which is – between 9.2 and 9.3 million dollars it's a little over 9.2 are there any free agents that you look at as potential good fits for them or is there one we've already talked about that nauseum so i shouldn't even ask but is there one need then that you really want them to fill or is it do you see any names that could help with that um three rotation that could potentially be had for that price point i you know i i, I don't um there's guys like Jared Dudley or Damari Carroll that I think you could look at, and, and these aren't exciting options, right? They don't, um, they're not going to make Denver that much different in the regular season. But you look at what they were vulnerable to in the playoffs. Um, they they just were vulnerable to scoring wings, and Rodney Hood had a heck of a series against them. Um, they they were vulnerable defensively. You needed one more kind of smart smart guy. So can you get one of those veteran? wing defenders who's not a great player probably won't play a ton during the regular season but to just kind of replace those Tory Craig minutes um in the playoffs at small forward um that's who I think they would go after and um it's not necessarily very exciting but unless they have talked about how and Tim Conley is setting the tone for in free agency we're going to go after the big names and we're going to try to get a meeting because they all say they want to win and if you don't if you say you want to win but won't give Denver a meeting you're not being honest and the shade and I think at LeBron some, James in that off the charts uh, uh, no no <laughs> doubt about it and, and and honestly he's setting the tone for Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant because I don't think Denver will get a meeting with any of those guys but why not I mean does Denver win a championship next year if they have Kevin Durant on the roster. I think yes. I just can't imagine a team that would be better than them. Same goes for Kawhi. So he's trying to set the tone for that. But again, I don't think they're even going to get a meeting, let alone convince those guys. And if that's the case, I think you just turn your your focus to, okay, who can we get on a one- or two-year deal that can sort of just – he's not going to cost us a ton of money, but we can throw out there in a playoff series if Rodney Hood's going crazy. And and those are the (laughs) types of players – those are the types of players you go after there. Yeah, Damari Carroll's a name that I've kept coming back to for them. And I think with him, just because of his age, maybe it gives you the flexibility to where you can split that mid-level between – I wouldn't give him the full NLE, obviously, right. but maybe there'll be enough left over to then where you can go off and try and get you know another like lower-endish option. Uh, I don't know what – like maybe a James Ennis and a Damari Carroll is the ideal outcome for them this offseason because they could afford two types of those players. The one thing I'd say is adding two players. It gets really you start to do the math on the roster spots, and that it just gets true. harder and harder. So that 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 would be one argument against it. I think the trade market actually might be more in line with what they're what they're looking at. Do you see them? And bef- this is before I turn to the listeners who this actually is going to overlap with it because I got a lot more uh, Nuggets questions about going after big names than I thought I would. But do you see them? You already mentioned the free agency thing, and when you and then when you we talk about the trade thing. The opportunity cost that goes into even just chasing something like that uh, to clear right. the cap space to 
sign a Durant or a Kawhi Leonard. I mean, Paul Millsap has to go unless you're going to do super salary dumps, and you would still need to dump right. another contract after that. And then if you are going to make a blockbuster trade, uh, you have the assets to certainly do it, including the salary matching tools, but it's going to cost. I would still think a Jamal Murray if you wanted to get into a, you know, Bradley Beal's the name that keeps <laughs> coming up. You're not going to trade. I wouldn't think you trade for Anthony Davis. I don't, I'd be interested in seeing him play with Nicole Jokic, but the combination of free agency, and I'm not the biggest fan of dual big front courts anyway i i wouldn't want to see him go after but do you see them like is that even something that's potentially in the pipeline for them where they're willing to jump through that many hoops just to have a chance to even make that big of an acquisition oh i think no doubt about it and i actually you i think i would trust your opinion on this more than my own because i'm just not a salary cap you know expert that's that's probably my weakest area of analysis for the nba but that being said I look at the Nuggets books and I think, okay, yeah, Millsap's there. You know, would he say, would the sales pitch be even easier for him um, to, for on a lower deal if you said, hey, man, we have one of these big fish in the bag, you know, but it's going to require this? I, I, to me, that's an easy sell. But then on top of that, it's not that hard for Denver to clear cap space. I think Mason Plumley provides value to a team in a way that he's on the he's an expiring contract who also produces and if you're a young team especially i've always said mason plumley's best role in the nba is a starting point guard for a rebuilding team because he's <laughs> he, he, he's a great pick and roll point guard he can finish above the rim so you teach your point guard okay this is how you run pick and roll like learn how to throw that lob and you know he can do that he's a he's a good passer and screen setter so you can teach guys how to cut off ball and and you know just kind of play the right way so to me he has a lot of value in this league and he's an expiring Will Barton is making a ton of money. You'd have to attach an asset, but Denver has, you know, Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, um, Torrey Craig is a little asset. He's on a deal. You know, Michael Porter Jr. Whatever. There's two. There's two first round draft picks they have in their arsenal. Denver just has the pieces that if they were able to acquire one of these big assets via trade or um, in in free agency, I think they could clear the books easy enough that this would not be even Gary Harris. I mean, we just talked about you have Barton and Malik Beasley behind him. Gary Harris making a lot of money who every team would sign up to, to trade for him. So um, I, I don't I think it'd be easy for Denver to move the, the to shuffle the deck chairs. But um, I think um, it's they would probably go in that order if they had a commitment from someone. Then, all right, let us clear our books and then we'll get it done. Not necessarily. Uh, we're going to clear our books and hope that we get this meeting because Denver doesn't get meetings. This will this will tie into that. I'll turn to the first uh, listener question. It's from the Saber Metric Skeptic at Saber Skeptic. Do they have a legit shot at landing Kawhi Leonard, and how well would he fit with them um, if he did end up in Denver? I will say, towards the salary dumping thing, what I have them at, and they're they're people that are way better at the cap stuff than I am. If you decline Millsap's team option, and then let's say you trade Mason Plumlee into cap space, is that a player that you know? Let's say Atlanta wants for a year if they don't sign a big name free agent you're like a million dollars short a million and a half of Kawhi Leonard's max so you could you could I think like you said you could get there pretty easily um if you want to give up a bigger salary like a Gary Harris or you know there's Torrey Craig at that point uh I definitely would not give up Monte Morris to do that or Malik Beasley or something (laughs) so if they're willing to create the cap space then do you think that this is the year then that they will Maybe it's not a Kevin Durant, but is it, you know, is it the Jimmy Butler or the Kawhi Leonard or these the guys that can, that'll grant them meetings this year that they nece- they couldn't necessarily get last year? <laughs> I, 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 there's no reason for that, that, that they wouldn't, right. but I just don't think that they will. <laughs> and, and I think Denver wants to. I think they want to be at that table. They've gotten meetings, you know, with like Dwayne Wade in the past, and they've, they've been able to sit down with some guys, but... Um, I don't think that Kawhi Leonard will give him the time of the day, and it's unfortunately just the sad reality of building a team when you're the Denver Nuggets. Kawhi Leonard would destroy here in Denver. I mean, he's destroying in Toronto, so I mean, he's already in a good place. Rumor has it he wants to go to the Clippers. He would destroy there too, so I kind of get it. But at the same time, what Denver needs on the wing, they need kind of sort of a one-on-one score. We met, we talked about how they don't really have the guy, the one guy that just kills one-on-one they need some size on the perimeter and on the wing and they need defense I mean Kawhi Leonard is a Kevin Durant Kawhi Leonard Giannis any one of those three I think Denver wins not just one championship but they're favored for the next several years I really believe that unfortunately I just don't see those guys sitting down with Denver we know how the NBA works it's not just about winning it's winning on on your own terms and in your own city and in your own market and Denver unfortunately one of the smaller just sort of brands in the NBA and I, I don't think they're going to get those meetings, unfortunately. Um, at 
Well, that was actually a question from at, from Steve at SGMPIC. Is that it's just the market thing? Uh, he wants to know why we're not talking more about the Nuggets as a top five free agent destination. Is it just the market thing, or is there anything else that might go into it? No, I, I think it's primarily that. Um, the the Nuggets locker room, one of the things that everybody says about this team, and not not just Nuggets players, but even when I'm talking to scouts with other teams, the culture inside with this team is so great. And there's no, there's not a lot of ego. Anytime your best player is Nikola Jokic, who right. I, this is literally does not want the spotlight. He does not want to be a famous person. He wants to be a, he wants to be the spotlight on the team. I mean, he wants to be the the ball to run through him and, and those types of things, but he does not care if you come in and get finals MVPs and you know, whatever, whatever happened, he, he's perfectly content. He's like Steph Curry in that way. And that he's just, he, he, he doesn't get bogged down into some of those littler you know, some of the squabbles that I think some other superstars do. So the culture inside the Nuggets locker room is phenomenal. Um, the team is poised to win and, and there's all those things set up. Um, I think one thing the Nuggets can do, and Tim Conley again referred to this in his exit interview, the Cronkies have biz- have built a business empire that spans real estate, media, professional sports. And a lot of these players now are looking for what are the opportunities outside? I mean, Mm-hmm. obviously one of the reasons going to LA is you can be in Hollywood and all the businesses there, Silicon Valley with the Bay, there's all these opportunities. Denver is one of the fastest growing cities. There's big tech industry, big real estate opportunities, and the Cronkies have their hands in all of it. To me, that's going to be a, I don't know if it'll, it'll work, but if I were the Cronkies, I would start trying to brand that. Who's richer than us? Who has more business opportunities than us? And you can come to a city that's sort of an untapped not not as untapped as it was 10 years ago, but still relatively untapped city for business growth and opportunity. And I don't think that'll really move the needle too much, but that's their best bet for guys like Kevin Durant to say, hey, you 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 have these Silicon Valley businesses. Well, all these tech giants are moving to Denver and starting businesses. There's an opportunity for growth here too. Maybe that helps, but I don't think it will. Uh, if this helps convince any NBA players to take meetings with Denver, one of my biggest regrets is not investing in the real estate market in Denver like six or seven years ago when I was out there looking at it. So maybe maybe that's something that will catch their attention. Um, that, 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 by the way, that's what I've done. I was a real estate investor for 10 years before becoming an NBA blogger. So you, I, 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 night, I can attest to this. <laughs> just night and day with the stuff, all the developments that popped up there. Just even – I know you said the last decade, but even like the last half decade. Just absolutely yeah. wild. Yeah. Um, Bo – Safest. I apologize if I mispronounce it, and I won't read his Twitter handle because it's NF. It's not suitable for work, most likely. Um, <laughs> so let's say the Nuggets do go after a big name free agent. Knowing what we know, and I think this is a good question, particularly with Durant's injury, Kawhi now making the NBA Finals with the Raptors. Who who would you want the Nuggets to prioritize the biggest push for? You're talking. This is like pie in the sky stuff here. If they're going to go after the big name free agents, um, what would be the name that you would want them to prioritize? I mean, Kevin Durant is number one. I, I, the guy I think would change a little bit the culture. You know, Denver's just so happy. He seems to be cranky. Uh, yeah, yeah, cranky. But I think he, uh, the, the basketball fit. There's just no question. I mean, D- Denver would be incredible with him, and it would be so much fun to watch. Um, so he's number one. Kawhi's number two, and there, I think there is a big drop off, at least for me, between KD and Kawhi. As much as I'm high on Kawhi, I just I think the fit would even be better with KD. But nonetheless. Either one of those guys coming to Denver, in my opinion, and of course I'm very biased, in my opinion would make Denver the favorite for years to come. I think it would be very hard to build a team that could beat a KD-Jokic two-man like pairing with Jamal Murray and Gary Harris still around. I mean, So those two guys are, are high up there. Um, after that, the next tier of guys, including Jimmy Butler, for me, carry their own risks. I mean, Jimmy Butler is the type of talent that you would want, but... I mean, I'd, I have no idea if he would get along with Nikola Jokic. I, I, I have no idea how he would change the team dynamic and, and culture and all of those things. Chris Middleton is a player who I think is really, really good, but is he good enough to make, you know, to get Denver over the hump? You look at the, the guys that are left standing at, you know, at the small forward position Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, you know, Jimmy Butler was there. All, you're going to have to go through the top of the top. And as good as Middleton is, is he going to be able to outplay LeBron James, outplay Kevin Durant, or go toe-to-toe enough to to make it matter? So I would go after him. I think it would be great. But that's one of those things where Denver wouldn't be a favorite, I don't think, with Chris Middleton. He, they they would be really, really good, but not a favorite. So would you then be against them moving? I, see, when I look at this question, I try to think of who would be most likely to then go to them. And I immediately think of a 
Kemba Walker could be a guy who prioritized basketball situation. Is he enough of an upgrade for you over to Murray to go after? And then maybe you use Murray to acquire that wing that you need. You know, a trade I thought a lot about if they had signed a Kyrie or a Kemba was like, you know, Murray and filler. Can you get like Covington and Sarich from the Timberwolves? Only in those in that circumstance would I would I try to go for that. If you had a second move, um, right. I, I'm I'm not eager to get rid of Jamal Murray or Gary Harris. A lot of times when we're talking off season stuff, those names come up. I, I I'm more or less content with Denver to kind of roll with those guys and, and and to keep it going. But if there was that secondary move to be made, um, then then yeah, I I, I would say go for it. But uh, uh, here here's here's a move that I find interesting. You can you can kind of, that I've kicked around a lot. Ben Simmons. And and Jamal Murray, I think there might be a swap there that that could make some sense. And Ben Simmons, I don't again, he's he's like Middleton in that his flaws are loud enough that I I don't know that it gets you over the hump. Mm-hmm. But there is something to be said for Simmons and Jokic are probably two top twenty players. And can you build off of that? Can can you get enough shooting around around the, those two guys to to make that team work? And I go back and forth on it, but I probably would I would pro- go for something like that if it were to become available. Yeah, that'd be an interesting thing. I, and I think, though, in that scenario, then you, you have to, even if you let Simmons run point, he has to be your de facto four on defense. Because yep. I don't think you want, like, another... You're definitely not playing Plumlee in those lineups. You probably, right. You're not going to play, like, a... You know, even I don't even... I guess a Millsap works, but I don't. I wouldn't even want to try that, necessarily. I think it works enough, but it's certainly long-term, you start to think, okay, we need to have a shooters at the one, two, and three. Um, or, you know, offensively, Simmons is the one, defensively, the four. You got to have three shooters out there. Jokic needs to become a little bit better of a shooter, but I've always said if you get the ball to Jokic on the roll in the pick and roll, in the short roll right there at the free throw line or rolling to the basket, the Nuggets score probably two points per possession on the on plays like that. Seems low, ben, actually. Yeah, Ben Simmons would get the ball there pretty pretty frequently, even with teams going under the screen. I just he's a very good passer in that situation, and I think you could build a pretty unstoppable, simple offense off of that action. Last couple ones here. This one's from Tease for Threes, DiGiorno at Denver Sports Fan 1 or Fa 1. He asked Bradley Beal, question mark. I'm assuming that means if Bradley Beal's up for grabs, is that a name you'd want the, the Nuggets to take a look at on the trade block? It's it's another one where there's no question he's an upgrade over both Murray and Harris. Um, the question is, is he enough of an upgrade because that means you're losing one of those players and you still don't haven't solved your small forward issue. So... Again, yeah, yes, it, it, I, w- I would be excited to go after that deal, but it's not your last move. That's that's sort of the move before the last move. So the answer is yes, but I'm not as gung-ho about that solving Denver's problems as I think most people are. It would be a scenario where if you only had to give up one of those two players with other stuff, you would do it, but you wouldn't give up both of them for Bradley Beal. Oh, for sure not. And and again, the upgrade from Gary Harris to Bradley Beal, in my opinion, is like going from a you know, a B plus to an A or maybe even an A minus to an A. I mean, it is an upgrade. It's a clear upgrade, but it doesn't solve your, your small forward issue. And it's not that much of an upgrade that you want to like really downgrade upgrade. too, which is where you don't need necessarily extra offense. Right. Right. Um, this one is from, and all the roads we have to walk. Kawhi, I can't even pronounce it, but at Mackie in 24 and all the roads we have to walk. Kawhi ding. Uh, will the nuggets trade into this draft or buy a pick? Uh, I do think there's a chance for that, but but I think it's a low chance. And if they did, it would it would be like a back half of the second round draft and stash type player, which they've had a ton of success with. So why not try it again? But you look at it; they have Michael Porter Jr., Jared Vanderbilt. Um, they have this guy Vladko Chanchar, who I expect to come over next year. So they already have three, you know, basically three rookies joining the team next year. Guys that just weren't part of the team, except for a little bit of minutes in garbage time for Jared Vanderbilt. So. To me, they already have three rookies on the, you know, coming in next year. I don't think that there's a big urgency, but nonetheless, one of the mo's of the Tim Conley era has been keep the war chest stocked. And I think if they have a player, especially in the like forty-five to sixty range, that they're like, we like this guy, we can keep him in Europe for a year, and he's just another asset that we can bring over down the road. I, I do think they try to buy into that, but that would be the only scenario. I don't think they try to get a player that they expect to play next year. Yeah, if it would be almost criminal if they didn't buy into the. You know, the latter half of the second round, just look, I mean, just Monte Morris this season is just the, the perfect example. <laughs> so yeah. um, the final one, and you might recognize this name, uh, Adam Frommel at Frommel09 <laughs> asked, would you consider Monte Morris a top 100 player? <laughs> top 100. I like it. I have no idea, man. Top 100. I, I don't even know what that means. I can't wrap my head around that one. So 
he's definitely no he can't be a top 100 player are you kidding that would mean he would be a top three player on average in the nba he's just outside adam come on now man well i will let you know that adam before he vacated and uh our br co-workership just just ruined it and moved over to editorial we <laughs> we were doing the top 100 player rankings for bleach report and at mid-season he sold me we had to come to a consensus on this he sold me on putting monte morris number 98 so at, <laughs> at i think it was february it went live was it january it wow. was january 24th as of january 24th we collectively i i included had him as 98 i will however say that adam wanted to put him i will say at least 10 spots higher (laughs) here's one thing i'll say about monte and i love the guy i really do think he has a he'll get better and better he was a 82 game player not a 16 game player and in the playoffs he's so small the reason he fell to the second round is he's super skinny super short and teams just threw size at him and trapped him and and it, it it really bogged him down i think he'll get better i think he'll figure out how to handle those situations better but in the playoffs it it he he was not a top 100 player in the playoffs no that's for sure um Adam, thank you so much for letting me commandeer a ton of your time today. I enjoyed really getting deep into the nuggets with you. Anyone who is not following Adam on Twitter needs to remedy that immediately. At Adam underscore Mares, that's at A-D-A-M underscore M-A-R-E-S. He's the site manager for at Denver Stiffs. Uh, writes over there, it's a fantastic writer, and he also hosts the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Per his Twitter bio, though, I cannot confirm this he's a solid post passer and defender so we'll, we'll leave that <laughs> many, pe- many people have said i'm the nikola Jokic of the uh blogosphere in terms of uh, on court game so i don't know if it's true i don't know well, well you must be just super selfless then in general in life so that's probably a pretty high compliment and, and, and humble to be honest with you as, <laughs> as humble as anybody you'll find there's no better way to showcase your humility than by calling it out and drawing attention to it <laughs> exactly um so be sure to follow him check out all his stuff again we thank him for hopping on we'll be sure surely pestering him again in the future. Until next time, I leave everyone with a shout-out to the only basketball player who has ever mattered in NBA history, Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.